be here to remember our, our Lord and Savior's death in the Lord's Supper as we've just done, to sing, sing songs of praise to our God, to, to study from His Word, to pray to Him. The Lord has been mindful of us, and He, he does. He blesses and blesses us again. I think it's, uh, he, he's a faithful God. Uh, he's, a, he's a good God who, who gives good things to His children. Um, that's what we're going to study here in a moment. Uh, it's, it's good to be able to worship God this morning. Um, he, he's worthy of our worship and our praise and, our, and, and everything we can give him through the good and through the bad. Um, we've had some very good news here over the last couple of days with the healthy birth for, of, of Trey and Carrie's new child. And we're grateful to God for, for those blessings and look forward to seeing that child raised, raised in the truth. Um, we also, also learned some, some very sad news last night as our, our brother Peyton Davis has, has passed away leaving his, his parents behind and many who knew and loved him. Um, God, God is faithful through those times as well. <clears throat> he is to be praised for that and, and to be thankful for that. But it's good to be able to be here this morning and to worship him uh, with, with all of you. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to uh, pick back up in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been, it's been a couple months uh, since, since I've, I've done, done a lesson in this series. And we have chapter 7 left. Um, so if you want to go ahead and start turning over to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to cover the first 12 verses tonight, and then hopefully uh, uh, we'll, we'll cover the rest of it in, in one final lesson uh, at, at, at another time. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 12 is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. So just as a, as a recap, because it has been several months since we've, we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, starts in chapter 5, uh, covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 5, it opens with what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, they paint a portrait of the characteristics of citizens in God's kingdom, in his kingdom of righteousness. This is a kingdom that is full of people who are poor in spirit, who recognize their desperate need for God, people who are hungering and thirsting after the righteousness, the right order that can only be found in their kingdom. And, and then Christ goes on in chapter 5 and verse 17. He makes the shocking statement that he has come to fulfill all of the law and all of the prophets. Now, all of the sacrifices in the old law, one way or another, they point to Christ. All of, the, all of those messianic prophecies throughout all of the Old Testament, they will be fulfilled in Christ. And even more than that, Christ came to demonstrate what it meant to live a life that was in keeping with the spirit behind the old law. And he came to call others to follow his example and to live out their lives according to the righteousness of the kingdom. So what, what would lives like this look like? Well, he, he goes on to, to explain that uh, in, in the rest of Matthew 5 and in chapter 6. What does it look like when you submit to God's rule as king, when you submit to his righteousness, his right order in your life, and when you live like his son? Well, we see in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, that, that you will have a life where you will not, you're not going to hate your brother. You're not even going to be angry with your brother. Because, but instead, you're, you're going to love him and you're going to, to make amends with him. We see in verses 27 through 31 of chapter 5 that that life is a life where you're faithful to your spouse. And you're faithful to the covenant that you've entered into with them. We see in verses 33 through 37, it's a life where you're going to do the things that you say you're going to do. You'll be a trustworthy person. We see in verses 38 through 48 of chapter 5 uh, that it's a life 
It's a life where you're, you're not going to seek retribution against those who wrong you. And in fact, you're going to, to go further than not seeking retribution. You're going to love them and you're going to pray for them. We see in, in the first 24 verses of chapter 6 that a kingdom-centered life is a life where you will not practice your righteousness to be glorified by others, but, you're, but so that others will glorify your king. And then finally, in the last part of chapter 6, we see that a kingdom-centered life is a life where you're not going to worry about what you eat or the clothing that you put on your body. Because it is a life where you're going to trust that God is going to provide for you each day what you need that day so that you can serve and glorify Him that day. This is, this is what a kingdom-centered life looks like. And as we're going to study today, a kingdom-centered life is a life that is devoid of self-righteousness and of selfishness and is focused solely on our King. So Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and, and let's, let's begin by reading the first six verses. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. <coughs> okay, so this is probably one of the most frequently quoted passages in, in, all, in all of Scripture, and it's probably also one of the most most regular, regularly misapplied verses in Scripture. You know, the, the, especially verse 1 here, it's often used uh, to argue that, you know, you can't correct me when I'm doing something wrong, because that's judging, and Jesus said, don't judge. And that's not quite the point of this passage. But I, I've also seen the opposite, where we kind of overcorrect to that particular misapplication of this, of this verse. We overcorrect to that misapplication and we just kind of dance around the passage and we explain it away until it's like Jesus really isn't saying anything at all. And then that leads us to where we can end up being self-righteous and judgmental, which is the very thing that he's preaching against here. So today, I hope that we're going to try to not misapply this passage either way when we discuss it this morning. Um, we're going to try and understand the actual message that Christ is preaching here because it's very important. So, as is often the case, I think we probably need to begin this discussion by defining some terms. Um, so, so, in English, this, the, the idea of judging, the word judge, judging, that, that word can mean at least two different things in English. Um, and it turns out, according to, according to my research, that it can also mean at least two different things in the Greek as well, the, the word that's used here. Um, and, and so when we think of judge and judging, it's often, it can be used uh, with the idea of discerning between two things, just of, of, of discerning. So, you know, you're trying to buy, you're looking to buy a car, and you got two different options, and you're trying to discern, you're trying to judge which one would be the better choice. So that's one way that, that's, that this word judge is used in English and, and in Greek as well. Um, but the other, the other way that it, that the, that the word judging can be used is in the sense of, you know, 
handed, passing down a sentence or a ruling or a condemnation. And, and you know, we would think of, of, of a judge in a court uh, who is issuing a sentence. He is issuing a ruling. Um, so those are kind of the two different ways that this word can be used. It can either you know, be, I'm just discerning between something, or I, I am ruling on something. I'm issuing a, a ruling or a condemnation. And it seems from the context of Matthew 7 that Christ is teaching against the second definition. Christ is teaching against the idea of issuing, issuing a condemnation or a ruling upon someone. Because <clears throat> from the context, Christ he seems to be concerned with people who are strictly and unmercifully condemning others for, for minute things, for a speck, a speck that is in somebody's eye. These people are, are, are condemning these people um, because of the speck that's in their eye while they're completely ignoring the huge problems, the log, that is in their own eye. You know, the, the, Jesus is saying here, we, we translate it log, but and I, I think it, like, the idea here is that this person has like a little piece of sawdust in their eye, and you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. That, that's, it's, it's humorous what Christ is describing here, but it's a very serious thing. So he seems to be concerned with the, these people who are acting hypocritically and who are, who are issuing judgment on other people uh, so strictly and so unmercifully while completely ignoring what's going on in their lives. These are people who are unwilling to discern their own faults, and, immediate, and they immediately jump to condemning other people. And Christ says that if this strict, unmerciful standard of judgment is the one that you're going to use for other people, then that's the same standard of, the ju of judgment that God is going to use for you. Because, you know, we're, we're all going to be judged by God, correct? Those who have submitted to him, those who have not submitted to him, in the end, we're all going to be judged by God. So this passage is not a loophole. We're like, you know, if I don't judge anyone at all, ever, then I'm going to be able to escape God's judgment. That, that's not what this passage is talking about. So we're all going to be judged. But by what standard do we want to be judged? But in what manner do we want to be judged? With what attitude do we want our judge to issue our rule, our sentence? So I believe the, the point that Christ is driving at here is that you, know, you, you are going to be judged by God, and he will judge you according to the standard to which you are judging or condemning other people. <clears throat> so if I, am, if I am condemning, if I am unmercifully judging other people and condemning them for all these little things that they may be doing, and I'm acting like a hypocrite, and I'm, I'm ignoring all of the, the things that I need to change in my life, God's going to judge me in that manner. He's going to judge me without mercy. He's going to judge me strictly. And I don't want that. I, I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not that good of a person. I don't want to be judged without mercy. So the, the implication is I, therefore, need to treat others in that same way. I need to, to treat others with mercy and, and only apply God's standard. Because the point is that the point is that we should be able to discern what is right and what is wrong based on God's standard and on God's standard alone. It's not my standard. It's God's standard and God's standard alone. That is the only way, we talked about this in class this morning. This is the only way in which we can discern what is right and what is wrong. But it is not our it is it is our place to discern, but it is not our place 
to issue a ruling, to issue condemnation. <clears throat> and, and when we are discerning what is right and what is wrong, then we should then go and we should lovingly and mercifully help others to see this standard. We should lovingly and mercifully go to other people and, and after, we have, after we have taken stock of ourselves to make sure that we are not hypocritical, but we should go to other people and, and, and help them in a loving manner see where they might be going against God's standard. That, that's, that's, that's kind of the point here in the conclusion of this part, right? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It doesn't just stop with, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. No, it's so that you can then go and help others understand the standard, which is God's word. But first apply that, apply that to yourself. And don't go to others in a strict, unmerciful, self-righteous, judgmental way. That is what Christ is preaching against here. It is our place to, to discern the will of God and to apply it in our lives and to help others apply it as well. But it is not our place to issue judgment on them or to hold them to a stricter standard than we do ourselves. Turn, turn with me, if you will, very quickly to, to the book of Jude. Jude, it's the, the second to last book in our New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. <coughs> Turn with me to, to Jude. Uh, it's one chapter, and I, I want to look at uh, I want to look at verse nine because I, I feel like this verse is a is a very good illustration of the principle that is being taught in the first several verses of Matthew seven. So, so Jude verse nine. This is a crazy story. I, I wish we had more details about what was actually going on here, but the principle is, is easy to understand. Jude verse nine. But Michael the archangel. When he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a raving judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So, we, whatever is being described here by, in, in the book of Jude, whatever the scenario was, we have Michael, the archangel, who is contending with Satan, like Satan, the devil, like the worst of the worst, the one who rebelled against God, who... who, who who brought his creation down, Michael, the ar God's archangel, is contending with Satan, but even Michael does not issue a, a ruling or a condemnation upon the devil because he doesn't have the authority to do that. What he does say, he, is, he says, the Lord condemn you. He holds to God's standard and God's standard alone in, in his condemnation of Satan. Of, of the devil. And I, I feel like that really illustrates what Jesus is driving at here in Matthew 7. That it is God's standard, it, it is God's standard that will judge all of us in the end. And so who am I to create any other standard to, to, to act unmercifully towards other people or judgmental or self-righteous toward other people when it is the Lord's standard? And so in our, in, in our own lives, we need to be looking at ourselves and judging our, and, and discerning and judging ourselves according to God's standard. And, and then we need to hold to that standard and to that standard alone when we're talking to other people as well. 
so the the original misapplication of this verse that, that I referenced about, you know, uh, well, don't judge me, kind of you just thrown out there as a you know, gotcha, so you can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. That, that misapplication often occurs when someone is, you know, they're being too loose with God's word. They're, they're being too liberal with God's word. They're doing something that scripture says not to do, and they try to justify it by quoting, you know, the first half of Matthew 7, verse 1. <clears throat> but I would just say from, from my limited experience that the issue that I've seen much more in the church is when we take God's word and we add to it and we teach as law things that are actually more conservative than what we see in God's word. There, there's an idea, I believe, that choices and lifestyles and doctrines that are more liberal than what is in scripture, all those things are bad and wrong. But choices and lifestyles and doctrines that are more conservative than what's in Scripture are perfectly fine. And that being even more conservative, conservative than what we find in Scripture uh, is, is maybe even a, a mark of a, that makes you a holier person. Uh, you're, you, you're better than people who don't go as far, like even more conservative than what Scripture says. And, and I think both of those things are wrong. I think, I think, and specifically that second one where, where we, we bind as law things that are, are more conservative than what is found in Scripture. I think that's the exact type of Pharisaical doctrine that Christ is preaching against here in Matthew chapter 7. What's right, the standard, what is right is what is in Scripture. We teach error when we teach as law anything more or anything less than what is in Scripture. And, and this is often done, I, I believe, at least at the beginning, with noble intentions. You know, I don't want to be anywhere close to sin, which is the right attitude to have. I don't want to be anywhere close to sin, so I'm going to draw all these other lines. I'm going to put up all these hedges between me and sin. But the issue comes, and the issue where we come into conflict with Christ's teaching here in Matthew 7, is when we bind those personal choices on other people. When, when we bind all of those hedges that we might put up for ourselves, when we start binding those and applying all of those things to other people, when these things may not be in Scripture. That is when we come in conflict with, with this teaching here in Matthew chapter 7. Or, or maybe when we look down on other people because they haven't put up all of the same hedges that we may have put up in our personal lives. And if you want, I, I, I've tried to emphasize the idea of, of personal choices here. If you want, if you feel the need to put up the, all these hedges in your life to prevent you from sinning, then you can do that. But you can't bind them on other people. You cannot bind what has not been bound in Scripture. When, when we start to do that, that, that I believe is when we start to, to act like the Pharisees here that Christ is preaching against. So let's, let's, well, I was about to skip the, the pearls before swine part as well. Um, but, but very briefly, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. They will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Yeah, at first I was trying to, when I was preparing this lesson, I was like, why is this verse here? Like, it didn't, it didn't seem to fit initially with what was before it and maybe what comes after it. Um, but I think the, after I've tried to do some reading of people who are much smarter than me, and, and 
what kind of makes sense is that, so we, we spent these the first five verses talking about what we, what we just talked about, not being self-righteous, not, not holding people to a stricter standard than the standard of, of, of God and his word, um, but, but going to them mercifully after I've looked at myself and, and, and trying to help them, some people are not going to be helped. Some, some people, even after you have checked yourself and you have removed all the logs out of your eye and you're trying to help them see the speck that is in, your, in, in their own eye, e even then, after all of that, sometimes people will, will refuse to see the speck. They'll refuse to take, to, to take it out of their own eye. And, and when that is the case, then we, we, must, we must discern um, when is the right time to, to shake the dust off of our feet and move on and, and, and apply our efforts elsewhere, somewhere that might be more fruitful. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that there's a hard and fast rule that, you know, after you talk with somebody three times, then you got to move on. Now, I think this is something that, where we do need to discern what is best. You know, maybe, you're, maybe this person, you're, you're talking with them for three years. I, I'm not going to put a number on it, but we, we just must discern when, when we can do nothing else, when they, are, are, when they have seen clearly the words of God and understand the standard, but still refuse to, to change. And at that point, we must, we, we, we must shake the dust from our feet uh, and not, not cast our pearls before swine. So Matthew chapter 7, now beginning in verse 7, we'll, we'll read through verse 12. And this will be the, the last section we covered this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So we're, we're reaching now, we're reaching the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Christ, he has just preached a, a very hard sermon. It's a hard, it, it was a hard sermon when he preached it there in the first century, it's a hard sermon for us to read. It's a hard sermon for, for me to preach because it hits us. It, it, it hits us all, maybe in different places, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that, that anyone in this room could read the Sermon on the Mount and not, not be pricked in their heart in some way at, at, the, at some, some point of teaching that Christ has here. So this is a hard sermon. Christ has just, has just got to the end of it. He's been calling people. He, he has been calling people out for their spiritual complacency, um, or he's been calling. Sorry, he's been calling out the spiritual complacency and hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he's been calling people to pursue the true righteousness of the kingdom. And this is a high calling. In chapter five, verse forty-eight, it says, "Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Okay, that that's a that's a really high calling. This is a hard sermon to listen to. But Christ doesn't want us to, to, to be discouraged by that. I think there are two things he doesn't want here. One, he, he doesn't want us to, to take the righteousness of this kingdom uh, and turn it yet into just another version of you know, pharisaical hypocrisy. 
He doesn't want us to pursue salvation through our rigorous keeping of all the teachings that he lays out in this sermon. That would never work, and we would soon lose hope. And the kingdom would be unattainable if it were only for those who kept perfectly the teachings of Christ. So he, he doesn't want us to turn this into just a, a new pharisaical law. But he also doesn't want us to be discouraged by the hard teachings that are found in, in, in here in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 through 7. Because the kingdom is attainable. The kingdom is attainable. Otherwise there would be no point to any of this. The kingdom is attainable. But it's not attainable by, by perfect keeping of the teachings of Christ. So how, how, how can we attain it? How is the kingdom attainable? It's not by that. The kingdom is attainable. The kingdom, the kingdom will be had by those who are earnestly and honestly seeking it. And that may sound simple, but I think at the end of the day it is simple. It is that simple. The kingdom will be found by those who seek it honestly. <clears throat> Read again with me in verse, uh, verses 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. There are no ifs, ands, or buts in these verses. There are some ands, but they're good ands. So there, there, there is nothing in this verse to, to, to cast doubt on, on the attainability of the kingdom. He says, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is seek. All you have to do is knock, and it will be open to you. <clears throat> That's wonderful news. That, 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 that is wonderful news. That is a, this is a wonderful point that Christ is making here in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. And, and I mean, he... He says it like six different times. Ask, seek, and knock. He says both those things twice. He means this. <clears throat> and this should be a source of comfort for each and every one of us. This should be a source of security for each and every one of us. And my status as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, my status as a citizen in God's kingdom of righteousness, does not rely on my perfect keeping of God's law. I say that again. My my standing as a citizen in God's kingdom does not rely on my perfect keeping of God's law. Rather, it depends on if I am honestly seeking the kingdom. Because the person who honestly and desperately is seeking this kingdom of righteousness is the kind of person who is going to humbly and gratefully rely on God's grace. And, and, and let me be clear, this desire that I'm talking about here, this seeking after the kingdom... This is not just some whimsical desire, like, oh, that would be nice. It sounds nice to be in the kingdom. Yeah, I think I want that. I think I desire that. that that's not what Christ is talking about here. So how, how did he describe it a couple of chapters previously in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they shall be filled. This idea of hungering and thirsting after something. The, the, the idea there is that you are starving. You are about to die of starvation and of thirst, and you are looking for anything that can save you. That's not just a, oh, yeah, it would be nice if you could find some food and water. No, you, you, are, you are looking, you are doing everything that you can to, to try and, and find 
something that will save you. And Christ says it's right here. It's the kingdom. Just ask. Just seek. Just seek God and his righteousness. And yours is the kingdom. <clears throat> Look, the person who is desperately seeking God and his kingdom in this way, they are going to be someone who is willing to give up any and every sin in their life as they are illuminated, as those sins are illuminated by the light of God's righteousness. Because that person isn't going to let anything stand in the way between them and the food and the drink that they so desperately need. They're going to get rid of every sin and weight that's encumbering them so that they can be a citizen in God's kingdom. No matter how painful it may be to do that, no matter how much heartache it may cause to, to rid yourself of these things in your life, no matter what it takes, the, the citizen in God's kingdom will do it. They will, they, they will put away any sin so that they can be in God's kingdom. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what it means to seek, to ask, and to knock at the kingdom. The person who, who desperately seeks the kingdom is going to have their life shaped more and more every day by teachings like those found in the Sermon on the Mount. That person, you know, <clears throat> living the Beatitudes, having the, those things, you know, the poor in spirit, blessed are, are, are the, the merciful, the meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for Christ, all of them, all of those things will be evident in my life. I'm going to be living for God, and I'm going to be living for others, like we see Christ calling us to in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 6. All of those things, the Beatitudes, the living for God, the living for others, all those things are the natural result of the person who wants more than anything to experience the righteousness of God. And this makes sense when you think of the kind of father who God is. And when you think about what he has already been willing to do for his children. And I think that's the point here in verses 9, 10, and 11. Where, where Jesus says, you know, even, even us as humans, you know, our human fathers, they, they generally give good things to their children. If their kid says, hey, I'm hungry, you have some bread, he's not going to say, yeah, here's a rock, chew on that. You know, that, that generally is not how it works. So how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to us? So our earthly fathers, I love my earthly father. He, he, he is a, a wonderful man. He's actually going to be here next weekend, um, so I need to get this out now. Um, but no, he, he, he's, a, he's a wonderful man who has raised his family in God's word. Um, but he's not infallible. He makes mistakes. He'd be the first to tell you that. So how much more will, will our, our God, our Heavenly Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, how much more will He give good things to us who ask Him? <clears throat> and so when we think of God in this way, as, as the perfect Heavenly Father, who gives good things to His children, then it makes sense that, that he, would not, he would not make our eternal salvation, our, our eternal relationship with Him, he would not make that dependent on our perfect keeping of every single thing that he ever says in Scripture. He's given us a way to have forgiveness for when we don't keep everything in his word. That is through his son. He was willing to send his son, our brother, to die for us on the cross so that we could have our relationship with him restored. 
So, so don't, don't think that God doesn't want you to be saved. Don't think that he's just sitting up there waiting for you to mess up so that he can condemn you to hell. Don't think that for a second. That, that, is, that is not the God in the Bible. He's a God who wants to give good things to his children if they'll but ask, seek, and knock. So are, are you asking him are, are, are you asking him for his righteousness? Are you seeking after his righteousness? Are you, are you constantly knocking at the door of his kingdom? I can't answer that for anybody in this room except for myself. And you can only answer it for yourself. But it's a question that you have to answer. And if you avoid the question, then you're answering the question by default. Are you seeking every day with everything that you have the, the kingdom of righteousness? Are you willing to put aside anything that may be in your life so that, you can, so that your life can more closely resemble the life of, of, of Christ that he lived here on this earth as he went about fulfilling the law and the prophets. And, and this leads us to the, to the golden rule, as, as it's so often called now in verse 12. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So Christ, he, he wraps up this main section of the Sermon on the Mount with, with a call to treat others as we would like to be treated. He does not say, treat others how they treat you. He does not say, treat others as I think they deserve to be treated. And he, he, he doesn't even say, you know, do no harm. And he goes beyond all of those things. He says, treat others how you yourself would want to be treated. And this is, this is like an annoyingly insightful principle that he is that he's getting at here. Because it's a principle of selflessness. It's a principle of being selfless. But that principle is founded on our innate selfishness. So do you get what I'm getting at here? It's you are to treat others. You're to do all these things for others. You're to show this active love for others based on what you would want for yourself. It is a completely selfless principle. But it's based on, you know, I don't want someone to do something bad to me. In fact, I want people to do good things for me. So... Do that for others. That's the implication there. It, 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 it has you look at yourself and then like forget yourself and just apply yourself to other people. So how do I want to be treated? Well, I would like to be treated with love. I would like to be treated with generosity. I would like to be treated with, with mercy. I would like to be treated kindly. That, that's, that's how I like to be treated. I won't speak for everyone here, but I think I'll speak for everyone here. I think we all like to be, would like to be treated that way. Okay, so if, if we got that point, that part, well, then I now need to go and, and do all those things for us. I need to go and actively look for ways to, do, to treat others in this way. I need to actively look for ways to be kind to others. I need to actively look for ways to be generous to others. I need to actively look for ways to be loving, to be merciful to other people. Tie it back to, to the first part of the chapter, being merciful. I need to go out of my way to do, thing, do these things for people. This is a principle of active love. I'm actively seeking to do good for others. It's not just sitting back and not doing harm, but I'm actively seeking the good of others, even above my own good. So why is that? Why in the world will we live this way? Well, I think the answer is in the previous five verses that we just talked about. Because it's what our Heavenly Father does for us. He, he gives good gifts to His children. He, he is merciful toward us. He is loving and generous toward us. So, so who are we to not go and, and, and 
be all of those things for, for the people in our lives? Who are we to treat you know, as, as sinners? Who are we to treat other sinners worse than our perfect Heavenly Father has treated us? That, that, would, be, that would be the height of hypocrisy. This is a this is a hard this is a hard sermon Matthew five through seven um, and we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up Lord willing maybe in November but it, it's a it is a hard sermon to, to study because like we said at the beginning it, it, it hits us all somewhere and probably multiple places um, so as as we as we finish the, the sermon portion of, of our service this morning I, I hope that you will consider these things. That you will take these things with you as we leave here and think about them. Think about them. Ask yourself, you know, am, am I seeking the kingdom with everything that I have? Am I willing to give up anything in this world that might keep me from inheriting the kingdom of God? You have to ask yourself that question. Let's make sure that as we go out, we, we don't treat those around us with, with hypocritical self-righteousness. That we don't bind things on other people that God has not bound in his word. But, but instead, let us, let us treat others with love and with mercy, seeking to, to bring others into the kingdom, as, as we are, are always uh, discerning against our, ourselves against the standard that is in God's word. If there's anything that, that we need to do for you this morning, if you need the prayers of the church here for... Uh, for anything, for any sin that might be in your life, for something that you're just struggling with and you need our support, we are more than happy to give it. If you, if you need to be baptized into the blood of Christ, if you, need to have, if you need to have your sins forgiven for the first time so that you can become a citizen in God's kingdom of righteousness, then, then we can have water prepared right here and, and we will baptize you into the blood of Christ. And you can be a citizen in his kingdom with the rest of us. We, we, we implore you to, to make any changes today that you, that you need to make. If you'd like you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing.